volume has dropped, but prices haven't had a corresponding drop given the higher rates and more tighter qualifying. That's correct. That's correct. And that's a wrong impression to give to the market because both the buyers and the sellers are getting a wrong impression. It's sort of like a white lie. You know, it's a hopeful thinking because what's happening is, is that when the inventory is down, not because people are overpaying for something, but the inventory is down because people can't afford it. The buyers are still thinking that they have to pay the asking price. And when the inventory is down, the seller is thinking that he can still ask the high price. You know, and that's what's going to happen in the future is that the buyers will realize that, hey, the inventory is down, not because the market is hot. The inventory is down because people that are out there are afraid to sell because they know they're not going to get the price they would have gotten a year ago. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. To the show, I have Ed Gitling. Ed and I talk about how there's three ways that banks are tightening right now. And one of them is actually might be a surprise to you. This is for our American listeners, but also relates to our Canadian listeners. I think you're going to find this really interesting. Also, I talked to Tom Hall today from Blue Mortgage about you might need a CRM if. Before I jump into that, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform. Very easy for borrowers to use and brokers. Got some great features like Smart Docs. As you're filling out the app, it automatically knows what put from the application into the submission notes. So you don't have to go and copy and paste. And then you can make a couple edits, hit the send button. It's fantastic. Check them out at lendesk.com and check out this conversation that I have with Ed. Hey, Ed, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much, Scott. How are you? I'm fantastic, man. So you've been on the podcast with me in the past, and we had a fantastic conversation. I thought, man, I got to get you back here. We got a couple different topics that we're going to cover. And so maybe before we jump into that, I want to talk about how banks are tightening and how that's affecting things. Maybe you tell a little bit of background on who you are, where you are, so that people have a sense of like, okay, who's this guy and why should I even listen to him? Gotcha. So let me give you like a, a high view intro real fast, just a couple of lines. I've been in the business since 1986. I owned the real estate companies, licensed mortgage banks and title companies. I sold my Polsha bank to Realogy. It's a publicly traded company in the US in 2008. I retained the private money business for myself as far as lending. And I've seen the hills and valleys. I've seen the ups and downs of this world. Lived through a few recessions. So uh, we survived. We survived, we're doing really well and expanding and uh, obviously right now you know for some people it's, it's a tough time for others it's a time of opportunities so let's just you know jump into the topic because obviously you know i'm sure your listeners want to hear about that first yeah no that's great and so if you started in 1986 i swear like you don't look like you're that old man i don't know how old you were when you started this but you're either aging really well or you started very young <laughs> so i lived in the cold climates that helps yeah uh, you know the figure skaters never get old right so they're really nice. And uh, or you're like Benjamin or something. You're getting, like, you're getting younger every year. <laughs> no, I'm turning 57 this year. Do not look 57, man. I'm being dead serious on that. So, okay. So tell me what, what you're seeing. You've got a, a breadth of knowledge and, and you also do the lending yourself. How do you see banks tightening in the last bit? And you're down based in New York, but what are you seeing sort of locally as well as, you know, in the U.S. in general that is affecting borrowers and sure. mortgage brokers? Of course, of course. So basically, there's a couple of tightenings that are happening. And one of the tightenings, obviously, the interest rates went up drastically. It depends, you know, where in the world you are and how you're pricing the loans. You know, some of them are based on LIBOR, 
some of them are high standard prime, some of them are high standard sulfur, you know, all different indexes. But regardless of that, all of them went up. I mean, sulfur went up like 400 and some percent. You know, it was below one a year ago, and now it's at all. Obviously, the rates are going up, and people that were, you know, qualified for loans at 275, 2.753% for conventional loan, FHA, Fannie Mae loans, you know, government loans, so subsidies, and so on. Right now, their loan rate is somewhere between six and eight. So obviously, the rates went up from that two and a half to three times, which realistically translates into the fact that people cannot afford to buy the home they could afford to buy a year ago because their interest rates and the monthly payments are triple or what they were, would have been a year ago. So the banks are understanding that. They understand that there could be a waterfall of defaults if people are underqualified. So what's happening now is that majority of the banks that I see basically tighten their credit books. And it comes from a couple of things. And on one end, the banks are looking at the borrowers much more carefully, you know, increasing the credit scores levels, increasing cash levels that, that they want in the reserves, and basically increasing or what we call is tightening up their procedures to make sure that not every single borrower is qualified and the ones that are not would fall through the cracks. On the other end, there's lenders, and especially the secondary market lenders, the lenders that were doing the non-QM and BSCR loans, the larger companies that would do you know, $100 million a month in loans and would securitize those loans to the secondary market, to Wall Street or to the bonds, what's happening with them is that it's not worth it for them right now to securitize because again, of the higher interest rate. And the right. way securitization works is that you have to keep the loans there for a long time. So they're kind of scared because what's going to happen is if the rates will start coming down in the next year or so, they're going to get a lot of refinances, which means the lenders that securitize the loans would have to refill that bucket of the loans that they have sold to the Wall Street, the secondary market. So they're scared of that. So sometimes, you know, it's better to stay out and not make the money than, you know, jump in and lose the money. So they've taken that approach. They're very careful. They've taken a very high interest rate. Some of them have priced themselves out of the market on purpose. So there's no announcement to the street to the fact that they're not lending anymore. It's just that their product is not feasible to sell. So that's the tightening of the credit facilities and banks and institutions that I see on the street right now. You know, being in the hard money or private money lending, you know, I'm a bridge financer. So my rates were always a little higher than the rest of the world. So let's say when conventional loans were at three and non-QM loans were at five or six, you know, I was at 12. Now my rates went up to 15 because we're doing, you know, a lot of bailout lending and it's a high risk. However, a regular guy who's got 680 FICO score and wants to go and get a bridge loan from an institution, his rate is north of 11. Right. That's with a lot of, you know, poking at his financial data and poking at the properties and assets and everything else. So sometimes it pays for them, you know, to pay an extra two, three points and go to private lender where there's a very limited paperwork, if any. Right. Okay. So, so that's I have what I see about this. So this is fantastic as a starting off point. So there's two things that I see happening. One, you see the interest rates are going up, which reduces qualifying. The second thing, though, the lenders are not only is it harder to qualify, but the lenders have 
make it more difficult. Interest rate aside, the way that they're scrutinizing borrowers between credit scores, you said, between what they have for other assets, all of this is meaning that fewer people qualify for mortgages currently. What is that doing to like property prices? So you're in New York, but I think you lend in lots of places. But what are you seeing? Is this affecting property prices? Is it not? Like, what are you noticing where you are? So the market always been in a way that, you know, has a tendency of lagging behind about six months or so. So right now we're in a lagging mode. And once the lagging mode is over, then it's going to come the snowball effect, right? And the snowball effect is the scariest part of there. So as far as lagging right now, we're about, I would say, six months or so. I think we'll see a real start of a snowball if the rates don't come down by probably September, October, November in that quarter of the year. And what's happening now is that I see that the sales have come down as far as the volume, but not as far as the price. Right. They're a little bit behind still as far as the pricing. So people that can afford to pay more or can pay with cash, they're still paying the seller's ask. However, right. the, the volume, let's say I just saw something that came across my desk, the volume in Miami, I think Broward or Dade County, one of those counties, the volume is down 71%. Right. Volume is dropped, but prices haven't had a corresponding drop given the higher rates and more tighter qualifying. That's correct. That's correct. And that's a wrong impression to give to the market because both the buyers and the sellers are getting a wrong impression. It's sort of like a white lie. You know, it's a hopeful thinking because what's happening is, is that when the inventory is down, not because people are overpaying for something, but the inventory is down because people can't afford it. The buyers are still thinking that they have to pay the asking price. And when the inventory is down, the seller is thinking that he can still ask the high price. You know, and that's what's going to happen in the future is that the buyers will realize that, hey, the inventory is down, not because the market is hot. The inventory is down because people that are out there are afraid to sell because they know they're not going to get the price they would have gotten a year ago. Right. And maybe they can't even find anything because there's no inventory. So even if you did sell, where are you going to go if there's not the same inventory? So you said something else, which I'm trying to understand that maybe you can dumb it. Like I always say, tell me like I'm 10. You said that. The lenders who currently, like the non-QM lenders who securitize loans, so they get a bundle of loans and they securitize them. But now if the rates go down and they get refi and those loans get paid out, they got to replace them. If they've been sold, why do they have to replace those loans? Like where's the risk? So instead of taking that potential risk on, they're sitting out like that part I'm not quite clear on. So maybe you can like dumb it down. Sure, sure. So the way securitization works is basically a bucket, right? So you create a bucket over, let's say, $200, $500 million. You go out to the same. That's a nice side bucket. I wouldn't mind a bucket that big. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys had a huge volume. You know, there's banks, non-QM lenders out there that a year ago, two years ago were were turning about two to three billion dollars a year in volume. And just remember, it's not their money, right? It's the money that they use from investors. So let's say they have compounded a bucket of, let's say, $200 million worth of loans. Their 30-year paper. And now they go into somebody like Morgan or whoever is on the street is selling these bonds. They securitize them, they get the rating, and they say, hey, this is 30-year paper. The bond is going to pay the bond owners, let's say 4%, 3%, whatever it is, and it's going to continue for 30 years. Now, when you sell the securitization of $200 million, the purchaser, because they have to perform on the bond, expects you to keep at least 95% of your portfolio active in that securitization bucket that you sold. So if the rates come down and people start and the flood opens for them to refinance at a lower rate, that bucket is going to be starting to deplete itself. 
So it's a couple of things are going to happen. Number one is the lender that sold that securitization would have to replenish whatever is going out. He has to bring in. But they're going to have to replenish that lower rate. So then that means that, like, let's say it's creating a 4% yield, but rates have cut down. Do they have to maintain that same yield? Well, they can maintain the same yield. So basically what they have to do is they have to replenish it. And there's fees and penalties that you know are associated with it. When you are selling securitization at loans of 3%, you know these loans are not going to be selling off or refinancing for the next 5, 10 years. With right. the loans that are higher rate, you know they will. Now, remember, this securitization, I mean, some of them are responsible for two years, some of them are responsible for three years. So there is a timeline when they're responsible for. So it's, it could be like a short-term squeeze of some sort. But... You know, that's something where we call, you know, mark to market, you know, where the rates are going up and the values are coming down and your bucket is not worth as much as it used to be. You know, some of these guys are getting margin calls as well. Right. So basically, just so I'm understanding, if I'm a lender, I put $200 million into a securitize it, that's let's say it's paying 4%, all of a sudden rates drop, a whole bunch of those people refi out. I'm on the hook for two to three years where I may have to pay a penalty for any of that. Correct. The borrower doesn't pay the penalty though, right? There's no- No, but borrower has nothing to do with it. Right. In Canada though, it's offer. different. Canada, the borrower pays the penalty. The borrower's like, oh, you can leave, but you're going to like, so we, they hit the borrower on the way out. And yeah. So majority of non-QM products, they have a prepayment penalty for the first five years. And it's yeah. a scaled down prepayment penalty, five, four, three, two, one. So that's part of the reason, you know, they'll buy out. If somebody's refinancing, they'll charge them the prepayment penalty. I see. So there would be a penalty, but it's still not enough. The lender could still be at risk. But does this occasionally like knock lenders out of the business because they end up just kind of like they've caught bad timing and all of a sudden, boom, now they're off. They can't actually, you know, fix it. 100%. I mean, years ago, over 20 years ago, there were banks like uh, Greenpoint, Dime. Those banks went out of business just because of that. I mean, 25 years ago, there was a program called Negative Amortization. I don't know if anybody's old enough to remember that. But there was a program called Negative Amortization where the banks would charge you less than prime and you owe them the difference at the payoff when you sell the property or refinance. You know, and when the market went down and there was no value, you know, things were not worth 120%, they were worth 70% of the value. You know, everybody was upside down. Those banks got margin calls and they went out of business. That's how the whole collapse happened in 2008. Right. Okay. So kind of to wrap this up, there's three things that are happening to create this tightening. One, you got interest rates increasing, so qualifying is harder. Two, lenders are saying, we're going to put more scrutiny on any borrower that's borrowing money. So that's going to make fewer people qualify. And then three, especially in the non-QM space, you got lenders saying, we're just going to wait. There's no point playing a game right now where there's a high probability that rates will reverse and we're going to get stuck with a whole bunch of loans and eating penalties on stuff. So then there's not really the incentive for them to lend right now. It's not as high as it would be given that uncertainty. Does that sound right? That's absolutely correct. I mean, a year ago, I was thinking of securitizing my product and we decided not to because we felt, you know, this little issues will be coming up shortly. And basically we decided to leave everything on a balance sheet. We didn't sell one loan to the securitization. We kept everything out of balance. Right. So the thing about keeping it in your balance sheet is that you theoretically could run out of funds or if you have less funds to lend, which means again, it just affects liquidity. So all of that meaning that it's more challenging to even get loans approved right now. Yep. It's all aspect of liquidity, 100%. So you go out, you get a little bit more equity from your investors, you leverage it against credit lines. And, you know, we went from one credit line to two credit lines. If things go 
further, we're going to obtain a third credit line, you know, so this way we can go out and basically take advantage of putting everything on the balance sheet without securitizing and getting cash flow from the interest. Right. Okay. Well, and this has been awesome, man. I learned a bunch of stuff that I didn't know. Thanks for chatting with me. In our next episode, we're going to talk about how this all sounds like doom and gloom, but this actually could create some opportunities for people, but you have to know how to look at it. So check out the next episode that Red and I talk about. And Ed, where can people find you online? It's looking for you. Towerfundcapital.com. Towerfundcapital. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. So hopefully that's not too much doom and gloom, but it is interesting in my mind to understand some of the ways there's tightening that's happening and just so that you can think about it. In my next episode, I'm going to be talking to Ed about opportunities that this creates because there's always opportunities if whatever's happening in the market. In this next segment, I'm going to be talking to Tom Hall about you might need a CRM if. Have a listen and I'll see you shortly. Hey, Tom, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott, great to be here. Hey, so you had this great idea that I absolutely love, which comes from this whole, you might be a redneck if. And so yeah. let's share some examples of you might need a CRM if. And we can dive into that a bit. And you had some ideas and I thought, man, I got ideas because when I started in the mortgage business, there was definitely, I've made every mistake under the sun. And so why don't we share some of these that you've seen and I've seen, you've seen from mortgage brokers and I can say what I've seen from personal experience. Yeah, I'm excited to do this little uh, bit with you because I think, yeah, for me, I've kind of seen it from our perspective, the brokers that I've worked with. And and usually I don't get all the horror stories because, well, you know, maybe they just don't want to share all the most people stories, don't want to tell you. I don't. No, they don't want to. Open book. I'll tell yeah, you. But most people don't want to tell you. That's for sure. So you're gonna you're gonna give us the raw facts. Well, I'll start with a couple couple of the ones I've seen, and then we can just keep rolling. So the first one I get, I get this one, or I see this one a bunch. So when you and your assistant are both working with a client, and you send the identical email at an identical time, if that happens, you might need a CRM. Totally. Yes. The same email. I can see that. And having a CRM so you can keep track of those outbound emails and who's sending what is yeah. a really good idea. I have an example of this. So you might need a CRM if you have a client call you and you have no idea who they are. And this has happened <laughs> to me before I had a CRM. Oh, yeah, no, dude, I'd be on a yeah. phone and I'd be like, I'm faking the conversation long enough to be like, who the heck is this? Hey, you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I may have talked to yeah. four or five people yesterday and then I get on a yeah. phone call with this person. I'm like, I can't remember who this person is. What was the, and then they'll say one differentiating thing. Oh, right. You're the person with the coast. Yeah, that that's your whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'll, all of a sudden switch. I'm a terrible actor. So they probably can tell why is he acting weird? And then all of a sudden, once I realize, I'm like, oh, it clicks. Tom. Yeah. yeah. With the cosign. I remember. Yeah. And then I would go back into it. So for me, you know, early stages of my career, my lack of CRM and organization was a nightmare. I mean, I got my stuff. I lucky to get do you, uh, do you use a VoIP now? Do you use like an internet phone? Yeah, we use. So when I switched over to the, you know, for the last five years with the training company, we used a system where it tracks the phone calls and the ring central and, you know, or something like that. Central yeah. Yeah. Because like, yeah. like, we had to, it just got way too much. And you can't keep yeah. track of it in your head. If you're a new mortgage broker with one file, you're like, you, know, you can baby sit that file out of the end. As soon yeah. as the number that goes up, you're going to find that, you're not going to be able to keep track of them all unless you're yeah. incredibly smart, in which case, but you're still using brain power on something that yeah. you're using on something else. Like doesn't need to. You know, yeah. Doesn't need to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So first is yeah. you, you just send the same email. Second is you have a call from a client and you have no idea who they are at first until you kind of <laughs> tease it out of them. So what will be another yeah. one that you'd see an example okay. of this? Yeah. This one comes up a lot, mainly when people are coming on to blue because they're like, this happened again to me today and I, it's got to stop. New lead. Basically you talk to them have a great conversation, say, yep, I'm going to follow up with you. The next file comes in, you don't follow up. And then two weeks later, you get the, or a week later or whatever it is, you get the all caps email with, 
hello, you know, question mark, what's going on, right? So just the leads that, I mean, similar to what you're saying that, you know, you talk to five people between persons two and four, that third person, for whatever reason, you don't have the time to follow up with them at that moment. And then you just completely lose them. And then they follow up a week later, upset or confused or just simply with another person, right? So if that happens to you, you know, you might need a Sierra. Once I was coaching a guy, a hundred million producer guys, he's wicked smart. Like this guy called him Rain Man. Canadian guy? Canadian guy. And he was, yeah, yeah. his ability for unlending guidelines. I'd be like, man, this, I don't think this file is possible. I'd phone him up and he'd be like, no, I can do that. I would send him anything that was, because I was That's lazy. Awesome. So yeah, it was yeah. hard. I would send it to him and he'd always get it done. But his understanding of lender guidelines and policies was like ridiculous, right? And yeah. when I was coaching him, he sent me an email. He said, I want to show you something. And he said, I'm really embarrassed about this. And I'm like, what? And he's like, this is an email I got from somebody. He's like, hey, you know, Bob Smith. His name is Bob Smith. Just, yeah. you know what? I reached out to you about doing something with my mortgage. I didn't hear back from you for two weeks. You're probably too busy because you got lots going on. But I just have to say, you know, from my perspective, I don't think that this was a great experience and I've decided to go somewhere else. Wow. And he was devastated. Like he wasn't nonchalant. He's like, how could this happen? And it's because he was actually too smart for his own good. He could hold it in his head until he couldn't, right? Until like, he, he couldn't, couldn't right? You do a hundred mil in his head, but. He was doing, he got to a really high volume and because he was smart, he was able to carry that for a while, but it will eventually crack. And it then will always this, catch you know, up to you. It will yeah. always crack. There's a limit. And plus you have so much mental capacity per day. Why waste it? As I've already said on stuff like that. So yes, you might I always call that like having your assistant, whatever it is, is your second brain, right? It's like you have one brain, but if you can offload that into a system, that becomes your second brain, right? You've just increased yeah. your capacity and not actually, but the stuff that you're we're memorizing, right? Or remembering these things, you just freed up that capacity because a system can do that. And that's just going to keep snowballing, right? With, I mean, all this AI type stuff, the amount of stuff you can offload from your brain into a system, a computer, or whatever, is just going to keep happening. So it's got to be a habit too that you build up. Yeah, I like that. So you might need yeah. a CRM if you forget to order an appraisal, hands up guilty, okay. yeah, and yeah. it just causes a delay. So now you have to ask for an extension that you can't get and the client loses the property. Not a happy client. And- my God, so, that's happened like, to you? Oh, yeah. And then oh I lost the client and the referral source. The realtor's like, you're an idiot. And I was like, oh, oh. I am. If this happens to you, if you guys are listening, and you always go, like, how do I fix it? Like, at the end of the day, it's like, what kind of process do I put in place? Yeah. And I had to put checklists for everything. I literally, I needed a checklist for, like, pretty much every part of my business just to keep organized. So the creative brain runs amok and, you know, causes problems. But checklists for me were my lifesaver and having them baked into a CRM where you can you know, make sure everything gets done is super important. So that'll be another reason why. So yeah, well, that's a good one. I haven't heard that one. That's probably the threshold of one that people don't want to tell me about, but I'm sure, you know, it's it happens more than people. I mean, if, if I'm the only person out there, then, you know, I don't believe that. Though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, yeah, the last one I was going to say is basically, you know, you might need a CRM if you reach out to a client for a renewal and they've already switched twice. Yeah, you know, so you're like that uh, happens. Yeah, no, yeah. Like, that's hilarious. Yeah. I've seen yeah. that happen. Yes, for sure. Yeah, where you're like, oh dang it. Right. Yeah. I once had a client, so I wasn't following up, and then I got in this kick of following up all my clients. So I phoned her up, and I'm like, hey, how's it going? She goes, oh, I moved to Saskatchewan. I'm like, oh, I didn't know. And I moved yeah. back. Oh, and I moved no. back. Yeah, she was in Kelowna to Saskatchewan <laughs> for a year or two, then back to Lipin. Chilliwack, BC. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, yeah. You know, there's so much going on and you have no idea because you're not staying in touch with people. And so I have felt that pain. Yeah. Um, and it's not about, I mean, you're not going to be able to anticipate all these things, but it's about being proactive, top of mind, right? That's really what it amounts to for a lot of these types of things.
And the last one is you might need a CRM if you've told a client to waive financing, but they didn't have it. And uh, <laughs> done that too. So did you recover at least? Yeah. No. So this was when I was brand new. I was such a gong show man. So my, one of my very first, not first, but like in the first year and a half, I told clients, first time buyers, they were all anxious. Yeah, you're approved, not realizing they weren't approved. And then they had to give them a deposit. And I was like, shoot, they're not getting their deposit back. So this was how I solved it, which was not how I would solve it now. But I basically, they had a $5,000 deposit. I bought the house with a partner to give them their deposit back. And wow. I went home and I said to my wife, I'm like, hey, we just bought a house uh, <laughs> in Rutland. She's like, why do we buy a house in Rutland? I'm like, ah, funny story. And so I gave them back their deposit. I ended up doing their mortgage for another property, less mortgage for their parents and yeah. stuff. But it was a completely on me. It was just me not wow. paying attention, not having a system in place. And then by the time I exited that house, tried to do a bunch of stuff with sell it. I think I lost 20 grand. It would have been cheaper for me to just write them a check for five grand to be done. For five grand. And, yeah. So that's what I would, the hassle and distraction of buying a damn house and don't recommend. So don't do that. That was not recommend. That. All right. Highly don't recommend that. Well, what we got to do out of this, Scott, I think there's some goes. Maybe we should start like a meme or something. This is the proof of concept. So if people- yeah, like, if you have them send them let to us it. Know. Maybe we yeah. should do like a little contest. Okay, you're listening. Yeah, to this okay. will be fun. If you had made these mistakes, you know, be honest, like I'm an open book, share where keep, you might be a CRM and we'll think of some kind of contest, which would be kind of fun for the broker community. This is a great idea. You do can it. tell we figure things out as we go sometimes. I'm like, <laughs> I like this idea, Tom, we're going to do this. So any last words on this? No, no, I would just say, yeah. I mean, maybe very much so to that last sentiment, think about maybe some of those painful moments. And, uh, you know, if you think, hey, maybe the CRM uh, could have helped you in those situations, well, at the very least, enter our contest and at most think about some certain systems that you can get in place, backstop, get that second brain so that, you know, you're avoiding this for you now and for your future self, right? And for your business. Right. And if you guys are listening to this and you need a CRM, check out bluemortgage.ca. Blue has no E in it. Tom and his team are awesome. And they support some of the biggest teams, mortgage people in the business. So you can hopefully avoid some of these mistakes. You're going to make your own mistakes. Like, you know, you're not going to do this business for any amount of time and not make some, but try to avoid those ones. Like, you know, just that's a really good idea. And we will definitely have some kind of a campaign or okay, you do something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Tom. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, Scott. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode. Hopefully you got some ideas from my conversation with Tom, as well as some insights from my conversation with Ed. And I always love talking to smart people because the whole idea for me is just to find an edge, find an angle. And in my coming next segment, when I talk to Ed, we're going to be talking about how this challenging market is creating unique opportunities. I think you're going to find that very interesting. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.